gave to you about the coming of the Lord, there is one thing that the Lord always talked about, and that is deception. Many people will be deceived in these, the last days. Now, while I have not titled this deception, I will be talking about something that is closely associated with it from the book of Hosea, the 11th chapter. And I want to read only one part of chapter 7. And while you're turning to our guest, we do welcome you to Calvary Gospel Church. We're glad that you have chosen to come and be with us. Our Bible study tonight just uh, is going to be very informal. I have some scriptures for people to look up, so trust that you have your your fast Bible. I have the study Bible that I had last time that I spoke on Thursday night, I think it was. And it's a, it's a big, uh, thick Bible, and I can't find things so well in it. But uh, I can see it a whole lot better. You just get accustomed to using the same Bible. And I walked out of the house and left my other one behind by mistake. I've been trying to use this, this Bible. It's King James Version. It's the same as uh, the other one. I use the King James Version. I do have other versions. Sister Grant just got a song. She got a series of songs. And on this tape that Brother Hollis gave her, the, the title of it is Songs That Mama Wouldn't Sing. <laughs> Brother Hollis gave it to her, and it's about the King James Version. Now, I think that all this was intended to be humorous, but it did say that uh, if the King James Version was good enough for Paul and Silas, it's good enough for me. <laughs> and if the King James Version was good enough for John the Baptist, it's good enough for me. <laughs> but uh, I think it was meant to be humor uh, because it, it has several other songs that, that are kind of out of this world. In fact, a little bit crazy. But it is a known fact that regardless of the number of modern versions that's come along because of the writing of the King James Version version being in Old English and quite poetic, that you can actually remember uh, scriptures easier out of the King James Version than any other version of the Bible. That's amazing, isn't it? All right, Hosea eleven seven. I only want to read just a part of this. And... This will get us started. And my people are bent to backsliding from me. And that's all I want to read. They're bent to backsliding from me. That simply means that they are prone or they have a tendency to just backslide. Now, I have gone places and preached in which I pretty much felt the whole church was backslidden. Now, I do not say this in any critical sense, but I remember going one place, a very large church, and preaching. Actually, I, was, I went there as a Bible teacher at a special Bible uh, conference that they had. And out of about 350 people, they only had a, probably a dozen Bibles in the whole church. I was amazed. And then after I had preached for a few nights, seeing that they were all so involved in materialism, I was convinced that this church needed a real revival. And sometimes as pastors, we, uh, we just wonder what causes people to do this. For the most part, all you have to do is just let up a little bit and refuse to challenge the people, and people will just go this way. I have known of churches that became very worldly-minded, and all that you have to do 
to see this accomplished, and that's not that, uh, that you want to see it accomplished, but you don't have to teach people that they need to let down. All you have to do is just fail to emphasize it, and people will automatically let down. If you fail to emphasize praying at the altar, people don't pray at the altar. If you fail to emphasize prayer rooms, people don't pray in the prayer rooms. Uh, if you fail to emphasize church attendance, people will become very uh, relaxed and they will just let it go. So I want to talk about backsliding tonight. Not anything that anybody likes to hear, but it is something that is needed. Uh, Jesus is coming back real soon. I do believe that. And what Hosea is saying, he is saying uh, concerning the, the, he's quoting the Lord, and this has to do with God's compassion toward Israel. But at the same time, Israel is confronted concerning her sin. And in this compassionate statement that's made by God, uh, it is pointed out that, that she has a tendency to just backslide. Now, there are some people that are born in the kingdom of God that seemingly never get their feet on the ground, spiritually speaking. It seems like they get God, but God really never gets them. And so as a result, they, they just have struggles all the time. They just never seem to, to do good. Spiritually. Others will do good for a while. And uh, over a period of time, a uh, short period of time, they seem to fade. Some will go uh, quite a long while, then they fade. Others will be in the church for uh, several years. And then over uh, a good number of years, they just keep backing up a little bit. Backsliding simply means that you are sliding backwards. <laughs> it's a very, very simple definition. Uh, leaving the church, uh, it might mean this, but not necessarily. Leaving the principles of the Scripture, uh, well, yes, because the Scripture uh, the principles of the Scripture, you know, they cover so much. So if you totally adhere to Scripture, you definitely would not be caught in this position. But uh, for the most part, it just simply means that you digress. By digress, we simply means that you, you turn aside or you back away from. It's a step away from. It seems to be the opposite of progress so if, if we're talking about progression we're talking about moving forward seeing things accomplished Jeremiah 7 24 I'd like for somebody to read this scripture if they would alright the first one to find it stand up and read it Jeremiah 7 24 and who has this scripture All right, now you notice what the Bible says. They went backward and not forward. And that's, that's what backsliding is. Now, <clears throat> I'm hoping in this message that I will be able to challenge everyone that's here. Not just a few, but every person that's here. So, by the definition of the word itself and also by Scripture... I'm inclined to believe that what the Scripture is saying is that if at some point in your life you were closer to God than what you are now, then there has been digression and not progression. And that simply means then there has been the, the turning away or the backing off, the letting up. Uh, this is something that, that uh, God seems to despise. Now, I know that getting close to God is a very important thing, but 
I think to get close to God and then just back off. As far as the Scripture is concerned, it's probably worse than getting close at all. Now, I'm not saying that getting, that not getting close is acceptable. But I do believe that there are certain things that God does not tolerate. Now, the Bible tells us, uh, all the way back in, in, in uh, the book of Exodus, when the Ten Commandments were given, that the Lord is a jealous God. Uh, I really didn't fully understand this until, uh, and I think I mentioned this, I remember having a dream about my wife. And, uh, and uh, my wife has never given me any reason in the 35 years in which we've been married for, for me to be jealous of her. Uh, and I am, I don't think by nature, a jealous person. But nevertheless, I had this dream, and I saw my wife with, a, with a, another man. And I remember that when she came back home, I asked her if she had been with him, and she told me that she had, and she explained the situation, all of which uh, I was, was very, very hurt. I, I was hurt beyond words and when I woke up even though I knew that the, it was just a dream it, that feeling lingered with me for a few days but every time I go to the Lord in prayer the Lord impressed me that he was a jealous God now at this time I had been dealing with a good number of people who had become very worldly minded and some I had talked to and, and I had spoken to them about the Scripture. It was then that I felt that God was trying to show me His true feeling about people who become worldly-minded. And, and I still remember that, that sick feeling I had when my wife told me that what I suspected was, was definitely true. Now, I do not believe that people intentionally just backslide, or at least most people don't. Some do, but, but for the most part, they don't. That uh, all they do is just relax a little bit. They don't pay careful attention to their prayer life, to consistency, uh, you know, concerning spiritual things. They become unaccountable, and it just happens. And we're going to get into this business of backsliding as it is compared in the Scripture to adultery. Because it definitely is. It's compared to adultery in the Scripture. Now, the, the, thing, the thing about it is that uh, I have talked with no telling at the people since uh, I have been counseling uh, going all the way back to the early 60s, I don't know of the people that I've talked to that have run into marital problems where a third party was involved, but a good number. People who become cold and backslidden and they do not guard themselves, and most people say, I never intended for my relationship with this person to grow to the point in which it did. It was not an intentional thing. It just just happened because of, uh, you know, familiarity, being close to the individual, and there it was. And then, of course, uh, they fell into sin. So inasmuch as this can happen in a physical sense, it can also happen in a spiritual sense. Now, <clears throat> the end result of backsliding, we won't talk about that. Uh, turn with me to Jeremiah 3, and I'll not... Uh, uh, have you to stand and read this. I just want to read it myself. We will take a we'll take a, a look at this. Jeremiah three verse six. The Lord said also to me, me in the days of Josiah the king, hast thou seen that, that which has 
hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. And I said, after she had done all these things, turn thou unto me. But she turned not, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw, when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel, and I have to turn my page in my new Bible, it takes longer than you and your older one, have committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorcement. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the heart also. So <clears throat> the, the end result of backsliding ends up in, in, in adultery or, in, in this case, in spiritual prostitution. Now, uh, the Lord moved upon me this past year, well, actually last year and, then, and, and this year, to do some teaching and some count meetings in, in Wisconsin, in Iowa, in California, and Minnesota. I taught on, on a form of backsliding, that is, looking backwards. Uh, I took it from, from Isaiah 28, verse 11 and 12, for line must be upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. And then, of course, Isaiah says, For line must be upon line, and precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, may they uh, fall backwards and be snared and stumble and broken. Now, basically, the way you come to God is that you you see the light of one of God's commandments or one of the precepts or lines of the Scripture, and you follow it. And that's how light is revealed to us. But on the other hand, the same way that we come to God, except in, in reverse, uh, we uh, fall away from God. It, usually the light is not taken away from us all at once, but just a little bit at a time. Just this day I was talking with a brother that said, I just can't understand, Brother Grant, how some people can, can be used of God uh, when they are backsliding. Well, the thing about it is, see, the light doesn't leave an individual all of a sudden. It leaves the individual a little at a time because that's the way the light is given. So <clears throat> you can just let down a little here and let down a little there, and, and after a while it's basically it, it's all gone. And that, that is it. Um, so Israel uh, forsook the Lord. If you turn back in Jeremiah to the second chapter, <clears throat> and what we want to do is read verse, verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that, that can hold no water. So Jeremiah is saying that this is... This is primarily uh, the cause of the backsliding, okay? Number one, they forsook the Lord, the only one who could give them true, abundant living or salvation. Now, I have some scriptures that I'd like for you to read. So, if you keep your Bibles closed, we'll have a little sword drill here. All right? And whenever I tell you to go, I want you to go. The first one that finds it, you're going to stand up and read it. Sister Grant's going to keep score. All right. All right. <clears throat> okay. All right. Jeremiah 17, 13. Everybody close your Bible. I haven't said go yet. It's always necessary to follow instructions. After all, that's what I'm teaching on. Isn't that right? Now, I intentionally did that. <clears throat> All right. Jeremiah seventeen thirteen. I haven't said go yet. Okay, close your Bible. My. Go. <laughs> Jeremiah seventeen thirteen. 
Okay, the Lord is the fountain of living water. Uh, God is our true salvation, and only God is our salvation. And, and I cannot help but believe that, that one thing that happens to an individual when they begin to forsake the Lord is that, that as they, they back off a little bit, they, they may not say in their minds, well, I'm going to reevaluate what I'm involved in. But that's exactly what happens. They start reevaluating. In other words, God Himself does not play that important role in their life that He should play. All right, Psalm 36 9, go. Psalm 36 9. All right, okay. So God is the fountain of life, all right? Now here's one that some of you can quote, but don't quote it. You have to find it in order for it to count. John 10, 10, go. All right. All right, the thief cometh not but to kill and steal and destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. And you will not find abundant life any place except in Jesus Christ. All right, so number one, they forsook the Lord, the only one who could give them a truly abundant life. Now, the next thing that happened to them, they sought life and pleasure in the idolatrous things of the world that had no real or lasting value. And that's what the Bible is saying, that what they did, they dug these cisterns. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with a cistern. How many of you know what a cistern is? All right. Now, when I stand up here and say, now, brethren and cisterns, <laughs> no. <laughs> Sisters, <laughs> a cistern, <clears throat> forget I said that, okay? <laughs> now, <clears throat> I remember one time going down to a farm where I had a very close friend living, and so uh, the, the, the man of the house asked Harold, Harold happened to be my friend, he said, would you go get a a draw a bucket of water. They had no running water in the house. And so we went out, and I said something about the well. He said, no, this is a cistern. Well, I wasn't familiar with that. And he said, well, the thing about it is water here is very, very deep. And uh, we just didn't have the money to drill a well. So what they did, they just started digging this one well was like three feet in diameter and they went down about 15 feet or so then on the bottom they just kind of bailed it out they got in there and poured cement and put cement around and put an eave trough on the house and ran it in there and caught the water and that's where they had their drinking water basically if you go to the Mideast today there are a lot of cisterns there and the reason why is because a lot of the water is very, very deep into the earth. And, and what the Bible is talking about here is that, that Israel in a spiritual sense didn't dig deep enough to get the running water, the spiritual water. That was the thing. And so it was not refreshing. But not only that, he said they have taken and made cisterns. or In other words, they had a substitute, something to take the place of. Now, Jesus spoke of this when he said, you cannot hold hands with God and mammon. Now, mammon represents unrighteous uh, commodities, things that, that are temporal, things that will fade, anything to take the place of God. And Jesus went on to say, you cannot serve two masters. You must either serve one and... Let the other go or serve this one and let the other one go. You can't hold hands with God 
with good and evil. And, and that's what he's saying. But the problem, however, with, with Israel is that, that they not only made cisterns, the Bible says, that their cisterns became broken. In other words, they couldn't even hold water. Not, let alone the, the flowing, springing water. So they reached this very deplorable spiritual condition. So they just lost their purpose. And basically, their destiny as a redeemed people. Now, there's one thing that you have to hand to Israel in the, New, in the Old Testament. For the most part, uh, when you go through the Old Testament, the prophets continue to remind them of their purpose in life. And the Jewish people, down through the years, I... I'm amazed at how much they have held on to their identity, their identity as it relates to separation, basically separation from other religious causes, from other religious doctrines, and they understood that they were a redeemed people. But, see, when they sought life and pleasure in this adulterous type of living, or idolatrous, maybe I should say, because that's what the Scripture's dealing with. Idolatry in the Old Testament was spiritual adultery. And, and so as a result, uh, they just looked to the world, and, and their, whatever they were getting out of the world had no lasting or real value. Now, <clears throat> they became broken cisterns, but the Bible tells us about the true living water that is found only in a per personal relationship with Jesus. And let me say this. It boils down to this. The, the number one thing in your walk with God is relationship. Relationship with God. It boils down to that. When Paul, in his quest for eternal life, he was still saying, Oh, that I may know him. He just wanted to know more about God. Now, as far as living water is concerned, let's turn to John 4, verse 10 through 14. All right, the first one to find it, stand up and read it, and you may go. Most of you have gone already, but uh, stand up and read this one. Okay, Sister Rowe has this, John 4, 10 through 14. Verse 14. Isn't that great? That is such a beautiful promise. I think we ought to lift our hands and praise the Lord for that. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we love you, God. We worship you, God. We praise you, God. Hallelujah. Now, John seven thirty-seven through 39. Go. First one to find it, stand up and read it. John seven thirty-seven through 39. Okay, several people have it, but they won't stand up. Rich Thomas has it. He's standing up. before I make any comments about the scripture let me just ask you this how serious are you about serving God how serious are you how much does all this mean to you anyway 
Because if you're not serious in serving God, these are the days in which I will assure you, you won't serve Him. I mean, it boils down to this. And when, when Jesus came upon the scene, He talked about living water. He was talking to very destitute people, people that had no hope. To the woman at the well, you drink of the, this water, you'll thirst again. But He says, I have water that you can drink of and never thirst. Praise God. And then He spoke of just rivers of living water, living water, running water, flowing out of us. Not just a river, but rivers, plural. And sometimes I see Christians, and, and, and I only say this from a pastor's perspective, okay? I'm not trying to pass judgment, but sometimes I see people, and I know that, that the river uh, it's, it's singular now. It's not plural. It was rivers. But now it's singular. It's a river. And after a while, it's just a, it's just a little creek. And then it's just a little brook. And then just a little stream. And after a while, it's just a trickle. You see this. And, and you know that something's happening. And I've got to tell you this. When I, when I go to the Lord and prepare, many times... I mean, I have prayed and sought the Lord. I've had people on my mind, and I'd come in here and stand up, and half the people that I was praying for and seeking God for, they weren't even in church. Seriously. And you say, how can I help these people? These people are backsliding. What, what am I going to do? And But you can talk to them about coming to church and... And such an, oh, well, Brother Grant, I just, you know, so busy, and I've got this, and I've got that, and they just got their mind on everything, see? Now, you see, in the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah talks about Israel as she backslid, and, of course, she, it's called adultery, spiritual adultery. That's the reason why the Lord says, I will put a handwriting of divorcement in her hand and send her away because she's committed adultery. And said, I'm going to do that to Judah uh, also because they've committed adultery. Now, if you will notice what happened, their adultery was that they made all these groves and such. And even though <laughs> they were not worshiping God, they felt a need to worship. So they went into idolatry. Now, this is not the Old Testament. You follow what I'm saying? This is not 400 B.C. It's not 600 B.C. It, it's not 900 B.C. This is 1994. But on the other hand, when it comes to idolatry, uh, the, the Scripture does have something to say about this. So if you'll turn to Ephesians 5, and we will look at verse 5. All right. I'm sorry go. The first one to find this, I'd like you to stand and read it. Now notice what it says. Or what covetous man who is an idolater. In other words, the Bible places covetousness right in line with immorality. Does it? It sure does. All right, Colossians 3, verse 5. Go. Colossians 3, verse 5. Okay, Glenn has it. He thought he had it, but he doesn't. Colossians 3, verse 5. Who has it? Covetousness, which is idolatry. In other words, people find other things to satisfy outside of God. Outside of God. Now, what I want to do is just talk about some symptoms of backsliding. And 
basically what I'm talking about are things that I have carefully observed in people as I watch people in the flock as they uh, begin to waver somewhat in their faith, as they, they grow distant to God. One of the first things that I notice is a lack of enthusiasm towards spiritual things. Just a lack of enthusiasm to, towards spiritual things. Now, my definition of carnality, uh, <clears throat> one definition of carnality is that uh, it, it's, it's a kind of a don't care attitude about things. You know, if you come to church and, you know, if we pray four or five people through the Holy Ghost, that is fantastic. You know, last Thursday night, Brother Gilstrap preached. We had Tom Llewellyn. He came with uh, Sister Christine. And uh, the power of the Lord came down. We we prayed uh, Tom through the Holy Ghost in just a matter of minutes. He was just so happy about it all. Well, see, the carnal mind goes like this. That's just fantastic. But let's assume that we didn't pray anybody through the carnal mind goes like this well that's all right too in other words whether you do or don't still all right and the reason why is because enthusiasm towards spiritual things just diminishes see before you back off from spiritual things there has to be a diminishing a digression of these things that happen inside of you. In other words, you just don't back off while you're on fire and you're praying and you're seeking God and giving it your best. No, it first happens inside of you. All right? Now, usually uh, this lack of enthusiasm is found in this particular symptom. Uh, you excuse yourself from too much involvement. In other words, I'll get involved to a point, but that's it. Got to reserve a lot of time for myself, you know. You don't want to volunteer for too many things. Don't want to get tied up too much. I hope everybody's listening to me. So you begin to excuse yourself from involvement, such as, let's just say, we talked about the altar work. When people grab their coats and want to get away from the house of God without praying at the altar, oh, now there may not be red flags going up in your mind, but there are red flags going up in my mind. When I see people do that, now, I know that occasionally people have to leave and have to leave early. And I also know, like on Thursday night, we have people to get up real early. And that's why we started our service at 7, so to 7.30. And I made this statement. I said, we can go ahead and have a good altar service. People who have to leave early can leave early. But I'm talking about people who just do this all the time. Just get, get away. Well, I've got things to do. Pray tell me what on this planet earth is more important than the work of God. And if you can name one thing that's more important than the work of God, I will assure you, now you hear me and you hear me clearly, that God is horribly dissatisfied with whatever that is that you're doing that's more important than what He's doing. I will assure you that whatever you are doing will be void of the blessings of Almighty God. I will assure you that. Now, <clears throat> I want to come across straightforward because that's happening to some of you. I see that happen. Now, I don't, I don't just watch people to the point that every time somebody leaves early, write this down. I'm not talking about that. But, but, but and another thing, too, when people are praying, and, and we've got people congregating all over the church, that they, they're talking about everything from 
burnt bacon to new dresses or in the case of man let's say a new necktie you follow what I'm saying do you know of anything that's more important than praying for people at the altar now <clears throat> the thing about it is now when we talk about backsliding you need to think about what kind of a burden did I have when I first gave my heart to did I pray at the altar? Did I seek God? What kind of a burden did I have when I was praying with my friends, with my husband or with my wife or with my children or with my dad or with my mom? But you see, we can get everybody saved around us that we're concerned about. Got it made now. Oh. Excusing yourself from altar work. Another thing is that there's no enthusiasm for prayer. Now, I, uh, I talk about this a lot. I just can't feature a Christian that doesn't like to pray. I just don't know what it'd be like. I don't know what God would think about a person that, that's, that is struggling Maybe I shouldn't use the word struggling in prayer, but I'm saying, because all of us struggle at times, but I'm talking about they refuse, they give in, and they won't pray. Now, I don't know, what, I don't know how God thinks of that. Communication is the name of the game. It really is. It really is. Then... What about the preaching of the Word? How, how important is teaching and preaching? Now, I'm not up here uh, giving to you a, a shouting type message. But are you eager for spiritual growth? Is this important to you? You know, and, and now this is my pet peeve. And, and uh, I don't mind. I, I've said this many times. And, and this goes for everybody that's here. If you know somebody that's having a problem... And when the preaching of the word starts, you owe it to that person, regardless of where you are, don't stay outside of this auditorium. I've known the people that want to go in a prayer room and pray. No, bring them in here. Some will go out in the vestibule. Don't go out there. And if you're having a problem, don't expect somebody to stay with you. Get in here. Because God can speak to you through his word. And you need to hear this. If it's no more than the fact that you need not to be out there, but in here, you need to hear that. You follow what I'm saying? I believe that God speaks it just as vividly to men today as He ever has. And one way is through the Word. So you can always get somebody to talk with you about your problems over a pizza or something. Because we're great at fellowship. Don't be doing this when service is going on. I think I will. Don't be doing this when service is going on. Really? Now, here's another biggie. Oh, I'm excited about this. <clears throat> we have a good number of people that are employed here at Calvary Gospel Church, and we've got ministries going on day and night. I've had some of our employees to go in offices and work on tomorrow's projects or whatever while we're having church. Now you may say, what do you think about that? I think that is a plus when it comes to a symptom of backsliding. Because every ministry in this church is a product of the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And when we fail to support that, we have no legitimacy in our involvement in any ministry. Period. These are precious people. Okay? I love these people. See? But it's not pat on the back all the time. Sometimes it's a kick in the 
pants. It has to be that way. See, it just has to be that way. What about song service? How eager are you to praise God and sing? When's the last time you spoke in tongues while you were singing? When's the last time you sung something in tongues? When's the last time you were just lost in the Spirit? Now, some of you can remember back on the good old days, but listen, you cannot survive on yesterday's experiences. You need something that's alive today, something that's real today, something that's fervent today. There needs to be something inside of you that pushes those prayers out of you. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Lack of enthusiasm, enthusiasm towards spiritual things. How enthused are you when service time comes around? Now, <clears throat> I am human, and I have had times in which Thursday night, truthfully, I said, I wish it were not Thursday night. And, and tonight was a night that I was over in, in uh, uh, Farm and Fleet. I almost said Fleet Farm, but that's Farm and Fleet here. And I had this $50 gift certificate that the church gave me for my birthday. And I, I said, I'm going to, I know what I want. I, I got over there, and would you believe just in the store, my knee went out. And I knew Brother Blake was someplace in the store because I'd talked with him. But oh, Brother Blake would just come around right now. But uh, I struggled and struggled and struggled, and, and then I've struggled with it today. And truthfully, when I went home this afternoon, I just had a splitting headache. I said, oh, Jesus, Lord. My. But then, you know, you have to be honest with yourself. Probably if I was leaving for a vacation, I would have just slept. You follow what I'm saying? Uh, probably if I was going over to your house for supper, I'd just go. You follow what I'm saying? Really? Well, I have gotten up after not even sleeping. Two and three o'clock in the morning and driven way across Wisconsin in some blizzards to go deer hunting. I'm serious with you. The last time I drove over to Toma in that area, did you know it was coming such a blizzard I could not even see? And the only time I really got frightened was going back to the car when I didn't, I could not see the car and I didn't know which direction I was walking. I said, I know that I'm, that this is a cornfield that has been cut. I will know when I enter into the woods and the car is someplace between the woods on the right and the woods on the left. It's someplace down there. And I just kept walking that direction. I knew that John Juno and Steve, my son, were out there someplace. And I got frightened. But the amazing thing about it was that they were going to drop me off where I was going to hunt because I was having severe problems with my ankle. And I ended up walking about a mile. Now, whenever I think about that in relationship to my fervor for God, <laughs> uh, you know, but if you're just dreading church, every, oh, it's church tonight. I got so much to do. See, so much to do. Now, see, all of these feelings of enthusiasm must leave you before you actually become a transgressor of certain things. You know, there are certain things in the Bible that, that it deals with attitudes and spirits, such as strife, for an example. Strife is that little bitty something that you can't hardly put your hand on, your finger on. You know it's there, but it, it's, it, it's, it's very difficult. 
This is the reason why the Bible says God looks on the inward man. Man just looks on, on the outside. But God has the ability to look in, inwardly, see. We uh, will be taking our Christmas for Christ offering. Enthusiasm, let's say, dwindles, diminishes, digresses toward our eagerness to give. You know, we just think of ourselves and, oh, my, I really need to pay this bill, you know. And you know what we do? We literally cut off the hand that feeds us. We really do. We stop the blessings of God. But then the actual pulling away takes place. We talked about eagerness to work at the altar. After a while, you don't work at the altar. You don't sing in the Spirit. Your emotions toward worship or your emotions are not there. Someone testifies about Calvary and about the blood, doesn't move you. Uh, you start missing church, you become unaccountable to anyone. You know, there's one thing about Brother Felix Crowder that, that uh, it just stands out in my mind. When Brother Crowder left this church, and you know, you know what a prayer warrior he was, and you know what he was involved in. He came to me and said, Brother Grant, he said, I've always been accountable to you. I think that I need to be accountable to a spiritual leader. He said, now when I go out and I'm preaching basically seven days a week, it scares me to think what could happen to me if I'm not accountable. Brother Crowder's been out how many years now? Three, four years? And he sends me monthly his schedule, his itinerary, telling me where he is. He calls me at least once a month. And I, I told him, I said, Brother Crowley, you don't have to do this. He said, but I need to be accountable. I need to be accountable. Because you see, what happens to people when their lack of enthusiasm is just, uh, when, when there is a lack of enthusiasm, rather, and the, then the actual pulling away, they become independent in their thinking. Like, well, I don't know this church anyway. That, that's what happens to people. They become selfish. Now, here's one. Listen to this. As a result, because they try to justify what they're doing, and this is where this comes in. This is a symptom of a person who is justifying what they're doing. They become easily offended. Why? Because they look for excuses. Easily offended. Psalm 119, 165. Go. Great peace have they which love the law, and nothing shall offend them. Now, this is basically, the, the context of the scripture is that, hey, nothing can take you out of the hand of God if you really want to serve God. But if you're not wanting to serve God, you can justify everything that comes your way. You can do that. The bottom line is, do you want to be saved? And if you say yes to that, the best thing for you to do is to understand, I need to stop justifying things that pertain to the flesh, that is, if you're doing it. See? And I've known of people just, just a gnat's breath from leaving the church. And I just preach my heart out. The problem is that when people get like this, no, so 
and you can't shake them. You know why you can't? Because the light has become so dim that they cannot see themselves as they are. When we choose leaders, and I'm closing with this statement, when we choose leaders, the first thing that we look for is accountability. How accountable is the person? That is extremely important. In other words, is this person a responsible individual? Can you depend on this person? <clears throat> and then the second thing is, how loyal is the person? A person who is not loyal. In other words, if he's not a team player, he's sad news when it comes to leadership. Sad news. The third thing is, how truthful is the individual? Does the person possess the ability to tell the truth even at the expense of personal incrimination? How truthful is the person? And the fourth thing is, does the individual have the ability? Now, you will notice that out of the four traits, Three of them are character traits. And character traits must come before talent. Because some of the most qualified people, as far as having the natural ability, are just people that can't keep their heart into it. They just can't do it. This is... God's church and he's coming back after this church and brothers and sisters if you want to make it you can make it and I will tell you that some of you that sit under the sound of my voice tonight and I'm not I please I don't want you to say go away from here saying brother Grant's picking on me you need to get a hold of yourself and you need to pray and you need to recommit. And you need to come back to the altar. And you need to seek God's face. And you need to pray until there's enthusiasm in what you're doing. Praise God. So when you enter in the house of God, you can sing, I will enter His gates with thanksgiving. I will enter His courts with praise. David said... I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents among the wicked. Just the opportunity to be among God's people in His house was more important than anything else in this world. Would you stand with me? Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. <clears throat> Don't let it ever be said of you, <clears throat> as the Lord said of Judah and Israel. She has a tendency toward backsliding. She is bent toward backsliding. But let God say of us, like he said of the psalmist, he is a man after God's own heart. Praise God. Let's sing. And as we sing, we invite you to come and pray, all of you. If you're a guest of ours, we invite you to come to the altar, bend your knee, cry out to God tonight. You can find God in the power of the Holy Ghost. Come on right now. I have oh, yes. To follow Jesus. I have Oh, yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Right now, everybody find a place to pray.